0: Welcome to the first Apostolic Church podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. Somebody just sat down. I did that just for you, Sister Rhonda. Me just did. I I'm going to wait till she sits down, and we'll say, "Everybody stand." Everybody else keep standing. I want her to sit down. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> Amen. Acts chapter number eighteen. Go to the Word of the Lord here tonight. Going to start with verse number one. The Bible states these words. Here this evening, good to see so many. It just seems like there's more than usual here tonight. And I like to be surprised rather than disappointed. So thank you. Amen. <laughs> Amen. Hallelujah. Acts chapter eighteen, verse number one. After these things, Paul departed. From Athens and came to Corinth and found a certain Jew named Aquila, born in Pontus, lately come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because that Claudius had commanded all Jews to depart from Rome and came unto them. And because he was of the same craft, he abode with them and wrought, for by their occupation they were tent makers. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and persuaded the Jews and the Greeks. When Silas and Timotheus were come from Macedonia, Paul was pressed in the spirit and testified to the Jews that Jesus was Christ. And when they opposed themselves and blasphemed, he shook his raiment and said unto them, Your blood be upon your own heads. I am clean. From henceforth I will go unto the Gentiles. And he departed thence and entered into a certain man's house named Justice, one that Worshipped God whose house joined hard to the synagogue and Crispus. I like saying some of these names. His name means curled, by the way. And (laughs) And Crispus, the chief ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord with all his house. And many of the Corinthians hearing believed and were baptized. And we'll get into some other verses of scripture before this night is over as well. Tonight, I simply entitled this ministry advice and you don't have to be a preacher or a teacher in order for this to apply to you you've been around here any period of time you know that ministry has to do with people that serve others and so i'm just talking about ministry pardon me while i do something i'm talking about ministry advice tonight i think from these verses of scripture we can pluck amen some things will be meaningful to us amen let's go to the lord in prayer while i look for what i'm looking for amen can we lord jesus i come to you tonight I'm asking, oh God, for your anointing. I'm asking, oh God, for your help, Lord, in the ministry of your word here today. God, the teaching, Lord, the teacher, God, those who would hear God, what is spoken today that might be able to be applicable to someone's life here tonight. I pray, oh Lord, this evening we center ourselves around your word on this Wednesday night for Bible study. God, let it become alive to us. God, oh, touch us afresh and anew. Bless your people, God, for their Lord attendance in the house of the Lord tonight. I pray, oh God, you bless them in their efforts, whatever was necessary in order to get here. Lord, I know, Lord Jesus, God, that you smile upon that, Lord, and you will be mindful of that. In the lovely name of the Lord Jesus Christ that I pray, amen and amen. The church, say amen. Amen. You may be seated tonight. I, I, can, I can do things more, more things than one, one at once. Amen ministry advice can you put my map up there tonight i thought this might help us just a little bit if you had a i don't need the the part one yeah that kind of this is this is paul's second missionary journey that we've been studying and we are still studying this is his second missionary journey and just to kind of point out where we are this evening over the past several weeks i got my little pointer here if you'll cooperate with me We've been to Philippi, Thessalonica, Berea. If you remember, that was the last place that we left, and they traveled all the way to Athens. And last week, we were talking about Athens. And now, he we went, boom, right there to Corinth. That just gives you an idea where we're at. So, Paul, this wasn't like Paul going to Albion and Mount Carmel and Kingsburg. Uh, he, he did some traveling. He man, around on this this second missionary journey and on the first as well. But I just leave that up there for me until you need to go to scriptures that way people can kind of have a visual before their eyes sometimes we just read places in bible and we don't really go to a map and there's amazing some of the enlightenment that can happen if you just open up a map and see where these places were in scriptures and so paul spent uh, as we said in the last few weeks Quite a bit of time in Athens, he was declaring unto them uh, the word of God, declaring unto them the God that they attested to, that they did not know. And so after his time was finished there with those intellectuals and those philosophical type of people. He went on to Corinth, as you can see on your map there. And both Athens Athens and Corinth was a part of a Roman province right there. You see it labeled Achaia. They were both part of that Roman province. It belonged into Rome. Corinth, as a matter of fact, was actually the political capital of, of that Roman providence. You can see right there, I don't know if you can tell it, but, but Corinth is actually on. That might be a little bit misplaced. See that little bit of land there between those two waters? Corinth is actually on that. It's called an isthmus, something that has water on each side, a narrow strip of land, and then it's connected to other land. That was only about five miles wide right there. I mean, that's about as wide from here to Kingsburg. Only about that wide right there where Corinth actually was. And so it divided these two two, these two water areas and it divided uh, northern Greece from southern Greece. And as a result of that being positioned where it was, it was a major trade hub because many people did not want to take their ships and go all the way around to get back where they needed to go. So many times they would actually carry their ships across that five mile distance to put it in the other water because you're talking about around there was every bit of a 200-mile distance all the way around. So many times they would carry their stuff across there. And, of course, if you're going to go from northern Greece to southern Greece, you're going to pass through that little narrow strip of land, which means you're going to pass through Corinth. And so with that being said, there's a lot of trade going on the waterway. There's a lot of trade going on between northern and southern Greece. And so Corinthians or Corinth was a place where there was a lot of people, cosmopolitanism group of people, Jew, Greek, all different nationalities traveling thus and so through uh, Corinthian through through Corinth because of its location on the map. And so that was quite large, the number of people. might not always have been the same people. There was a variety of different people that would travel through there. So in Paul's mind, he, he's not looking at this for the purpose of trade. He's looking at this for the purpose of ministry. And so for Paul's mind, there's a lot of different people traveling through there, different nationalities and segments of life. Uh, Paul first number, number one ministry advice is this seek out strategically strategic ministry venues. And so that's what Paul was doing with Corinth. That would be a great place to preach the word. That would be a great place to start a church. Be a great place to start a church. All the people ebbing and flowing, coming and going. A lot of different nationalities, tremendous spot. So he was very strategic in his ministry endeavor after he left Athens. He left the intellectuals and went to Corinth where he may be exposed to a lot of people. As a matter of fact, Corinth is only about 50 miles, about 50 miles from Athens. And they they were somewhat similar. Uh, Corinth was an ally of Athens so there's similarities between them they had similar governments and uh, they both really didn't focus too much on the military aspect of their governments Uh, Corinth like Athens though since they were allies they kind of focused on education like Athens focused on education however whenever it comes to the city of Corinth Corinth was deeper in immorality than Athens was as a matter of fact, Corinth was, if we could say it like this, Corinth was deeper in sin than Athens was. Whereas Athens, the challenge was the intelligence of the people that Paul faced. In Corinth, the challenge was going to be the sinning of the people that Paul was going to face. And perhaps this is why Paul, remember when you read the book of Acts, these different things like Philippi, that relates to the book of Philippi, Uh, Philippians, whenever Paul writes back to that church, and Thessalonica, which relates to Thessalonians when he wrote letters back to that church, Corinth relates to guess what? Corinthians, amen, the letters that Paul wrote back, amen, to that church. With that being said, perhaps since the major challenge in Corinth was going to be people's sin, and we see that, through the book of Corinthians, he's oftentimes addressing sin. There's divisions among them, fornication, all this stuff going on. Perhaps that's the reason why whenever he opened up 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse number 4, he stated these words, and the words that he states are these. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom. Whenever Paul's saying, whenever I first came to you, you can read it in the Scripture. He said, when I first came to you, my speech, my preaching to you was not with enticing words of man's wisdom. I was not in Athens, right? All the intellectuals and the philosophers. I was not in Athens, he says, but in demonstration of the spirit and a power, he said that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. I believe Paul, again, had a ministry endeavor here, and another ministerial advice for anybody is this, is always remember that the power of God trumps the wisdom of men. The power of God trumps the wisdom of men. It had in Athens, and it was going to in the city of Corinth. They didn't need necessarily more knowledge. What they needed was a demonstration of the Spirit and the power of God. You can't deal with sin with kids' gloves. you got to deal with sin the way the Bible deals with sin, and that's through the power and demonstration Of the Holy Ghost If chains are going to be broken It's going to be because of the power of God If addictions are going to lead people's lives You're not going to educate it from them It's going to be by the power of the Holy Ghost Amen So Paul says I don't come with a a new philosophy For you all to listen to I come in the power of the spirit Because you all are infiltrated with sin. You're infiltrated with everything known under the sun sun for the sin of man. He says, you need a demonstration of the power of God that can break shackles and chains and fetters and make you free. So that's what Paul did. He went there in the power of God, not the wisdom of man. And the power of God, again, will trump the wisdom of man any day. The, the, The city of Corinth, the word means that which is satisfied an ornament, beauty. As a matter of fact, the most obvious landmark at Corinth was the Acrocorinth, a mountain to the south in the city that height reached to 1,886 feet. And upon this high place in Corinth was the notorious temple of Aphrodite, which housed at one time 1,000 priestesses or 1,000 professional prostitutes. This is the Corinth that Paul said, this is a great place to start a church. He says, I want to start at this place where they have this temple of Aphrodite, where they have 1,000 women professional prostitutes that whenever night falls, they go out getting their business among and amidst the city. That kind of shines light on why there was problems with adultery and fornication in Corinth. Because it was a way of their old pagan worship to have intimacy with these temple prostitutes. But God wanted to change the dynamic that rather than having it with Sally one night and Mabel the other night, he says, you just need to have intimacy with me. Night after night, day after day. And I'm not being vulgar. We need to get close to the Lord. For that matter, he could decry in that city, I wish you to get as close to me as you've got to some. Can I in the now generation say, I wish we would get to close to the Lord as we got close to some of the things when we weren't living in the church. Some of us laid down with alcohol and laid down. You understand what I'm saying? huh? God wants to be close, and intimate with us. And so here is Corinth. Corinth is morally bankrupt, okay? Their morals are not good at all. And so you have this, it's just kind of exacerbated because you have this ebb and flow of people because of it being the hub of trade from the seas and also from the land. And so here's people from the outside coming into this city, amen, and they're being taken in by all this vile, immoral stuff as well. And 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 if anything else, Corinth has such an impact upon them, some of them are taken what they experience in Corinth, home to their regions and areas. So, Corinth is a place of influence. Corinth doesn't just break up marriages in Corinth, it breaks up marriages at Philippi, huh? And other places. It, 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 the power is so pervasive of sin in Corinth, it knows no bounds. And it's so pervasive, and Corinth has such a a, a, a character about it and a reputation about it that it was known pervasively all over that they used one word. Uh, they coined a phrase. They coined a word to describe someone that was upholding the most vilest of kind of life, whether in or outside of a Corinthian realm. And the word was this. They, they spoke of that person as You You Corinthizing. You're Corinthizing. What that meant? You are the most wicked, vile, immoral person there is. Now, doesn't that make you as a city feel pretty good? I mean, you know, some people are known for, you know, making cheese and others are known for this. And you're known for being the most immoral city on the face of the earth. Yeah. You know, we have these things, you know, you have state birds and you have all this. Corinth, the most immoral city. Had it on their license plates, I suppose. But Paul. He's seeing this as a ministry opportunity. Paul's seeing this as a place to start a church. With his optimism, with Paul's optimism, he thought if he could go in there, and this is, this is uh, his confidence that he had in the word of God, if I can go in there with God's word and God's work, perhaps we can get a foothold in good old Corinth. And potentially maybe if we could get a foothold of God's work and God's word in Corinth, potentially that could affect other regions and areas because of all the commerce and all the trade that happens in this little narrow piece of land. Amen. Paul thought, yes, differently than you and I. Others would have assumed Corinth, too far gone. Corinth, don't even touch it. It's going to hell in a handbasket. Corinth some people thought no too steeped in immorality might as well not even try to fly your Holy Ghost flag there amen or experience any type of change in Corinth but Paul didn't see it like that Paul didn't see Corinth as a lost cause and he didn't see them as a threat Paul saw Corinth as an opportunity and if Paul's seen the city of Corinth as an opportunity with all of the immorality and debauchery and fornication and adultery, then we should be able to look on any life that walks into the doors of the first apostolic church, not as a lost cause, not as something we're wasting time on, but the possibility of an opportunity for God to change a life from darkness to light. So the other ministerial advice that we receive from Acts chapter number 18 is this. So Paul just just recently here comes unto Corinth and he's not long here that he is trying to find a community within the body of believers that are at Corinth. Now, I'm not sure I'm not sure where Paul exactly found Aquila And Priscilla, Aquila is the husband, Priscilla is the wife. I oftentimes try to, you think you think Priscilla is a woman, right? And it is. But sometimes that Aquila kind of throws things off, you know. But Aquila and Priscilla, Aquila is the husband, Priscilla is the wife. I don't know where he actually found them, but it's quite possible from the reading here that he may have found them in the synagogue. Remember Paul's normal means of life when he went to a city? Where does he go? He goes to the synagogue all right and also uh, he goes usually the jew first and then the gentile that's his pattern that's what he does the bible says that these two individuals have just recently came themselves to corinth from italy because claudius which is the roman caesar has wanted all the jews that are there in italy he wanted them to get out and leave rome Apparently, from understanding you and study history, that there were some riots going on among the Jews. See, you had Jews and then you had Christians. And uh, most outsiders just seen Christian as a division of the Jews. All right, they're just a division of the Jews. But we're talking about two different people. We're talking about one that believed Christ never came and the Christians believed that Jesus was the Christ. And so they're dealing with this. So there was some rioting going on among themselves or whatever. So they just just evicted all of them from the land of Rome. And so Aquila and Priscilla was a part of that. So they had to leave Rome and they find themselves in Corinth. And Paul finds himself in Corinth. And so here they are. He finds them. Now it's quite possible then that Aquila and Priscilla may have already been converts before they ever met Paul. Amen. It's unknown for sure, but it's possible that they were already converts because the Bible says that Aquila was born in Pontus. It's up there on the map. See, Bithynia and Pontus up there at the very top area. He said that, that Aquila was born in Pontus. And people of that region, here it is, the possibility, people of that region on the day of Pentecost were present. The Bible says in Acts 2 and verse number 6, speaking where the Holy Ghost and they spoke in tongues. You remember that? <laughs> amen verse number six now when this was noised abroad the multitude came together and were confounded because that every man heard them speak in his own language and they were all amazed and marveled saying one to another behold are not all these which speak Galileans and how hear we every man in our own tongue wherein we were born Parthians and Medes and Elamites and the dwellers in Mesopotamia and in Judea and Cappadocia and Pontus and Asia So it's quite possible. I don't know. I don't have no hard facts, but it's possible that Aquila and Priscilla already had the baptism of the spirit. They were born there. And now that they are in Corinth, it's possible that they were already converts. But here we have something here of of importance. Later in the chapter, we'll read of Aquila and Priscilla. And they will take somebody that was preaching the gospel in Ephesus by the name of Apollos. They'll, they'll listen to him, hear that he's speaking fiery and he's expounding the word of God. But he doesn't quite have it all. He only knows uh, the salvation message up to the baptism of John the Baptist. He doesn't know about Calvary. He doesn't know about the resurrection. He doesn't know about the infilling of the Holy Ghost. And so they take him aside and they, the Bible says, expound to him the way of God more perfectly. They had knowledge of all these things. So the, 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 the understanding or the thought process is this. If they were converted under Paul's ministry, we have no record of it. But being that Paul normally, again, hit up the synagogue first, the Jewish synagogue first, and this was his first order of business in a new city, he very well may have found Aquila and Priscilla there because they were already converts. As a matter of fact, it's interesting because several scholars say that it was customary. Listen, this is interesting. It was customary for Jews to sit in the synagogue according to their trade. Meaning, you had all the carpenters over here, you had all the tent makers here, you had all the blacksmith here, all this over here. Many times they, they sat according to their trade in the synagogue. And Paul, if you note, know, he found them, Aquila and Priscilla. A man and they were what tent makers as he was a tent maker. They had a similar craft. As a matter of fact, verse three tells us that Paul stayed with them only because they shared his craft. They were all tent makers. They were all leather workers. So what I'm saying is uh, an important ministry advice is this find community within the body of believers. It's good within the body of believer, believers to find people that you have similarities. Yeah, similarities, amen, of personality, of hobbies, yeah, of work, if you want to, huh? Now someone said, oh, Brother McGee, that sounds awful clickish to me. To some, that might sound clickish, but in reality, it's common for people with similar interests, similar occupations to gravitate toward each other. Hands down, it's just the way Just the way that humanity works. And in the synagogue setting, as in the church setting, it's comforting whenever you find somebody within your local church that has some similarities to you. James, it's good to find some people sometimes that don't like to get up early. And if that's you, that's okay. I'm not saying I know that. I'm just saying. It's okay if you like to drink a pot of coffee. Isn't it great to find somebody that just like black coffee, just like you don't have to put nothing in it, just leave it to me black. You got something you can share and talk about. Brother McGee, what does this got to do with a hill of beans? Because we all want to be connected to one another in some way. And you find a connection to the church when you can find similarities between you and other people in the church. And so I'm telling you it's important for you to seek out and find other people in the body of believers, find people that are a community of people that has similarities to you. I'm telling you, it is needful and it is necessary. I mean, for one, do not normally, I'm just saying normally, quotations here, different, you know, age groups seem to fellowship with in their age group, right? I mean, I don't, I don't know too many times, like, you know, there's three people teenage years and then we got the 60s that are together and they're saying, hey, let's get together at such such time and uh, let's go out to lunch and then play volleyball together. Now, you're laughing, but you'll accept that. But you won't accept the fact then that some people might hunt and others might fish and others might like doing golf and others. Fellowship of one another. Amen. And that's never to say there's no cross-pollination of the elderly with the young or anything like that, so to speak. But what I'm saying, it's important. It's important to find similarities, amen, in the body of believers because you know what that's going to do? That's going to keep you connected to the church. That's going to give you someone that you feel like you can lean on during times that are bad because you know what they're whatever. They're a painter, too, you know. So what we read in scripture here, look at this this is important. Paul right here at this time in his ministry in scripture, Paul then is bivocational. He's a tent maker, and he's also trying to minister the gospel at this stage in his ministry. He's bivocational. He had a trade. When things got bad, he had a trade to fall back on. Amen. As a matter of fact, it was common. It was common for Jewish boys to learn the trade of their father or learn some type of trade. Did not Jesus learn the trade of his stepfather? Carpenter? Yeah. Amen. So so that, that was important. Another ministerial advice is this, and then we'll look at it. One out of seven days is reserved for worship, not work. right. Paul is bivocational. He's doing both. He's involved in tent making, which is also known as leather work. He's, He's involved in that. Every day of the week, he is involved in that type of work. But in verse number four, the Bible tells us every Sabbath. Can you put verse number four up? Every. Yeah, that's the one I want. Oh, is it over superimposed? That's all right. Every Sabbath. He's in the synagogue, and he's persuading the Jews and the Gentiles, the Greeks. Paul worked, but he paused on the Sabbath. He ceased from work for giving attention to worship. Paul worked like we all do. But one day out of seven, he stopped for the purpose of worship. That's good ministerial advice. Because what's good to find somebody and have a connection with in the church if you're never there to connect with them? What's good about showing up for them to lift your hands, but when everything's fine in your life, you don't show up, but they're having a hard time and you're not there to lift their hand? That's right, Sister Shara Johnson. Absolutely. And so when we consider these things, Paul worked, but he paused on the Sabbath. He ceased from work and attended to worship. Some believe, some believe that whenever Silas and Timothy showed up, because they showed up here, they had funds from Macedonia that helped Paul to go full time sharing the gospel. I don't have no hard Concrete evidence of that, but they say that that's the reason why you see them that he's pressed in the spirit And now he's going about testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Christ Here are some scriptures that may lend to that thinking that they showed up from Macedonia with funds for him to go full-time Second Corinthians chapter 11 and verse number eight Paul again. He's writing to the Corinthians. He says I robbed other churches Now, he's not literally talking about embezzling money through the treasury and all this stuff, folks. It's a figure of speech. I robbed other churches, taking wages of them to do you service. And when I was present with you and wanted, I was chargeable to no man. Why? Because he was tent making. For that which was lacking to me, the brethren which came from Macedonia, which may relate to Silas and Timotheus supplied and in all things I have kept myself from being burdensome unto you and so will I keep myself another place in scripture that alludes to this is in the book of Philippians that Paul also wrote Philippians 4 and verse number 15 the Bible says now ye Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel when I departed from Macedonia no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving but ye only and Philippi was in Macedonia. For even in Thessalonica, ye sent once and again unto me necessity. So it's possible, perhaps, that they did bring some funds. I don't know with clarity because we're not told right here in the scripture. Now, whether they, whether they pertain to that or not, again, I am not certain. Nevertheless, the last time that we hear of Silas and the last time we hear of Timothy is when they were left in Berea. It's on the map. When they were left in Berea, they were left in Berea with a command from Paul. As Paul's going to Athens, he commanded, when you guys get your Earliest convenience and opportunity come to Athens. All right, so Berea was right there in the province of Macedonia. However, the Bible says that they departed. You can look back at Acts 17, verses 14 through 15, that Silas and Timotheus departed. However, they don't show up until right here, whenever Paul is in Corinth. And so perhaps, maybe, I don't know, perhaps they did bring some offerings of the churches. For Paul, but here's, since I don't know for sure on that, I will tell you what I do know. Another ministry advice. Ministry is better done together. You might even say it like this. Ministry is best done together. When Jesus sent out the 70 disciples, did he send them out one by one? No. He sent them out two by two. Bishop, perhaps Paul. After Silas and Timotheus showed up, perhaps Paul felt pressed in his spirit and testified that Jesus was the Christ because he didn't quite feel alone anymore because he's been by himself all through the little Athens escapade. He's been by himself when he first entered Corinth here. He's been trying to stay strong. He's like the long ranger trying to put a furrow in the ground for the gospel. And, you know, he's doing everything he could do. He's probably tired, probably tired from traveling, amen, maybe a little hungry. And the finances are low enough that he's having to go back to tent making, that's probably got him concerned. And there's people here that can understand, amen. He's under a lot of pressure, and he's doing it all by himself. Can you imagine, amen, the energy, the enlightenment, how uplifting it was just to see uh, Silas and Timotheus show up? and be at Corinth where he was, it was like a fresh energy coming into Paul. Hey, I'm not doing ministry alone. Let me tell you, it is a wearisome task doing ministry alone. It's a wearisome task when you're the only one praying. It's a wearisome task when you're the only one worshiping. It's a wearisome task when you're the only one showing up. It's a wearisome task when you're the only one giving 100% of the effort. But honey, something happens, synergy happens whenever another says I'm gonna do it with you and someone over here says I'm gonna do it with you. Honey, it changes the dynamic of the whole atmosphere in ministry when you have 100% here and there and there and everybody's praying and everybody's worshiping and everybody's fasting and everybody's excited and everybody's showing up. Paul says, I feel pressed in my spirit. Man, I feel like preaching. Yes. Silas and Timothy showed, I feel like preaching. Jesus was the Christ. Declare it, declare it, declare it. I mean, he actually had somebody now among the masses. He's saying, Jesus was the Christ. you are over there. That's right, Paul. He's missed that for the past few days, months. They feel quite alone when they arrived. And Paul, he shares the same revelation that he shared everywhere else. Again, that concept, bringing people to the understanding that Jesus was the Messiah. He was the anointed one. The Bible says when he shared that, verse number six, the Bible says they opposed themselves. They opposed themselves. Doesn't necessarily just come straight forward and say, They opposed Paul, but they opposed themselves. There were differences of opinion among them, among the people that he ministered to, and there's some opposition among themselves or beyond that. They are opposing themselves. They're having some type of internal struggle within themselves with the information that they have received. Is this right? Is this not right? Should I follow him? Should There's this opposition that's going on within them. And here's what we can glean from the next few little phrases and verses Ministerial advice. We can't make people serve the Lord, but we must share the message. Once again, Paul has stated the message until his socks are wet, all right, about Jesus being the Christ. And evidently there is not a tremendous reception. And so he turns from the Jew and again turns to the Gentile. The Bible says he even. Shook his garment and said, The blood is upon your heads. Now, when we talked about blood on hands, and even with Pilate, whenever he washed the blood off his hands concerning Jesus Christ, he was saying, I'm innocent, I'm no longer responsible. Whenever you talk about blood on a head, that means you are responsible. And so Paul is saying, I'm shaking my garment, this, this is it. Uh, This is over. He he says, I'm washing my hands, if I could say. I'm washing my hands of this. But you're responsible for your decision. You're responsible for your reception. You're responsible for what you do with this truth. And the Bible says that Paul leaves the synagogue, the Jewish synagogue, and he goes right next door to a house of a Gentile. (laughs) Someone say amen. And so he's thinking... Perhaps what they won't receive in the synagogue, they'll receive in a house. Great spot to put in for home Bible studies. Amen. What they might not receive in the church, maybe they'll receive in the home. But the fact of the matter is this. Paul understood, I can't make anybody serve God. I got to share the message, but I can't make them. That is their responsibility. That's their choice. Because if I could, I'd have every last one of them serving God, I'd have them repent, be baptized in Jesus name, fill the Holy Ghost, and then I'd probably kill them so they could get to heaven quick, and wouldn't have to worry about with everything between after salvation until heaven for them to flub up, saved, unsaved, all this garbage. You're saying that funny, but let me tell you there's a whole lot of truth in that. Getting the Holy Ghost is the easy part. It's stay and save. I know a lot of our mothers, and I'm not by no means trying to identify with them. Some of them went through some tumultuous labors. But in reality, the hard part is from there until they're out of your house and even after that. Another ministerial advice is this. For anybody, your time and your investment in the kingdom is not in vain. Your time and your investment in the kingdom is not in vain. Come to find out, Paul says, I'm skipping the synagogue. I'm going to the Gentiles' house. But evidently, Paul's time and investment while he was in the synagogue wasn't in vain because Crispus, oh, Curly. (laughs) We might change your name. Crispus (laughs) was the chief ruler of the synagogue. And he believed got saved, and his household believed and got saved. So Paul's over here, did what he didn't say. God bless God, the blood's on your heads. Do what you want to with it. He leaves and starts over here in this house and come to find out the leader, the ruler of the synagogue had gotten saved and believed what Paul spoken. So what that told Paul was this, although it seemed like everything was coming right back in his face, like spitting in the wind, some seed found some good ground somewhere and it prospered and it grew because that man who was the chief ruler of the synagogue, he and his household was saved. So your time and your investment in the kingdom is not in vain. The greatest ploy of the enemy is to lie to you and tell you your time and your investment in the kingdom is not a mountain to a hill of beans. Because nobody wants to invest in anything that isn't going to have a return. Let me tell you, I can look in the mirror and preach this one all day long. Talking about time and energy investment in the kingdom not seeing a return and thinking, you know what, this is just, wash my hands of this. But no, it doesn't matter. I'd stay here for 50 years, and if, if nothing ever happened, my time and my investment in the kingdom is not in vain. Whether I'm aware of it or not, it's not. For Paul, he happened to be aware of it, but it's not in vain. Because whenever I, if I remembered the gospels right, whenever he welcomed those to come on in to the joy of the Lord, my good and my, what was the next word? Faithful. What'd you do all those 20 years? I preached, Lord. I prayed. I fasted. I studied. Checked on people. Went to the hospital. I buried their old. I dedicated their young. Sounds like you've been faithful. Some people maybe think that God's looking for the grandiose. Maybe in your own life. Maybe you're thinking it's the grandiose that you need to achieve. No, what you just need to achieve is faithfulness. Because if you'll do the mundane of the faithful, there will be episodes of grandiose. It won't be living at that level. That's the reason why, and I'm kind of getting off my notes here. That's the reason why one of the things that Jesus did not do through his temptation in the wilderness was like, you know, jump from the pinnacle of the temple. The Bible says, you know, the angels will bear thee up. Because he didn't want the disciples and everybody was witnessing that to get addicted to the grandiose. Thinking that life always lived at this level. We all been in church long enough. Life isn't always lived at this level. It's lived right here where our feet hit the ground. But you know what? You stay faithful with it. And every once in a while, whoo, mountain, there it is. But you got to learn how to walk it right here. you got to learn how to be faithful right here. And every once in a while, there's that little time that you're almost like one to three. And you can see the Lord praying and there's glory and there's great drops of blood. That only happens because those boys were faithful to walk when they was along the shore or up on the mountain or when they had bread or didn't have bread. They were faithful. Your investment and your time in the kingdom of God is not in vain. So again, this great thing happened for Crispus Curly. In Corinth, power of God did that. Acts 18 and verse number 9. Then spake the Lord to Paul in the night by a vision. Be not afraid, but speak and hold not thy peace. For I am with thee, and no man shall set on thee to hurt thee. For I have much people in this city. And he continued there a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. Now let's ponder here for a moment. If Paul's history was any indication. And if the typical response of the people in the past was any indication. Was the same as it had been. We could have expected Paul not to have stayed very long in Corinth. Because his times, Philippi, Berea, are usually pretty short. Because. Feathers get ruffled, and they're ready to kill the man or stone him or do something to him. And so he's usually leaving or having to be left or shown the way for the sake of his life. You remember, he's already been stoned one time. People thought he was dead and he got back up. So, you know, some of this stuff, even if I'm Paul, that's no one in the back of my mind. You almost lost my life over this one time, one place. You know? And so here there seems to be not a readily acceptance in the synagogue now, and we would almost expect Paul to leave because normally when people oppose the message they already attack the messenger. Boy, that could have been another one I should have threw in there. But, but evidently there was some type of opposition going on beyond just opposing themselves among themselves or something that was going on in their minds since he left the synagogue and went to meet in the house. However, other opposition that Paul wasn't aware of yet was soon to come. We'll read of that next week, starting in verse number 12. There was other opposition soon to come. Paul would eventually be brought before the judgment seat there in Corinth uh, due to an insurrection of the Jews against him, Paul. And so we start to think because we know that we see that Paul doesn't see that yet. We start to think, Sister Sheila, how much can one man endure? You know, how much can one man endure? I mean, does he have a breaking point? Certainly he does. Certainly he does. And here's another ministerial advice or ministry advice for all of us. We all reach breaking points. Even the Apostle Paul. In 1 Corinthians 2 and verse number 3, again, this is Paul writing back to the Corinthians. Back to the place where he's at right now in the book of Acts. This is what he said whenever he first came to them. He said, and I was with you. He's making an admission now. Past the fact, he said, "I was with you in weakness, and in fear, and in much trembling." He's not talking; they were in weakness, or they were in fear, and they were much trembling. He's speaking to him himself. I was with you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. Whenever I came to you, I was weak, I was tired, I was worn out, I was fearful, I was afraid, I was trembling. Whenever I came to you, that was my condition of life. Yet, what is Paul doing while he's fearful? What he's doing while he's trembling. What is he doing while he is weak? He's still pled, pled, prod, prodding alone, still doing ministry. He's still doing ministry while that was his condition, Brother Alex. Don't use your weakness as an excuse. Paul says, I was weak, but I ministered. I worked six days out of the week, but when Sabbath came, I was in the synagogue. Whether these things alluded just to the physical aspect of Paul or perhaps even to maybe a spiritual aspect of Paul. Maybe Paul was spiritually worn out. You ever been tired in your spirit? Huh? Your hallelujah didn't get past your nose. Right? You've been tired in your spirit, but you know what Paul said? I'm still going to involve myself in ministry. Either way whether it was physical or spiritual, there were certain difficulties that Paul had to minister through. Paul had to minister through. Amen. And the thing is, Paul was was aware of these. He was aware he was weak. He's telling us that he was fearful and that, that he was trembling. He was aware of these. And the thing of the matter is this. God was aware of them too. God was aware of them too. And God knew the things that Paul had faced prior to Corinth what he was facing in Corinth and what he was still yet to face, the insurrection to come in Corinth. God knew the immorality of the city. God knew the task that Paul endeavored to do in such an immoral place. He knew everything that was coming, everything that had been. And if I could say it like this, God knew Paul's breaking point. God knew Paul's breaking point. And here was the advice from God for ministry. Look at it. Verse number 9 and 10. Be not afraid. I'm doing this in layman's terms. Speak and keep on speaking. Why? Because I'm with you. None shall hurt you. And I got a lot of people in this city. God's advice to Paul was this. Keep on. I'm weak, God. Keep on. I'm afraid, God. Keep on. I'm trembling, God. Keep on. Don't be afraid, Paul. Don't be afraid. Speak and keep on speaking. Don't stop Don't stop what you're doing. The worst thing a child of God can do is to divorce themselves from any responsibility in the church when they're weak, afraid, and trembling. Because if you divorce yourself from every responsibility in the church when you're weak and afraid and trembling, there's a good chance you'll never get back to the responsibility and you'll probably backslide from the church. Oh, Brother McGee, oh, I got case studies from here. A people that said, now Pastor McGee, or when it was Bishop, I said with him, Bishop, I, I tell you what, I just need some time right now, and I need to set out from doing this, or so on and so forth. You know what happened? They got cold and indifferent on a pew, and it wasn't long. They were right out the door, and there's still many of them not in this church today. No! If you're tired, keep on. If you're struggling, keep on. If you feel spiritually low, keep on, keep on. Keep speaking, keep teaching, keep coming, keep worshiping, keep working. Keep volunteering. Keep on, keep on, keep on. And if you need reasons why, God gave the three reasons to Paul. Number one, I'm with you. Now, he didn't say every moment along the way he was going to make it evident that he was with him. But he was letting him know at this very vulnerable spot in his life, Paul. Paul. Whether you realize it or not, whether you think it or not, I am with you. Boy, that does something to somebody. I might not see him, I might not feel him, but I've had a word from him that he is with me. So I'm not, my mind has to fasten on the idea that I'm not going at this alone. Paul, even whenever Silas and Timotheus wasn't there, I was there. I'm with you. Secondly, this had to be very comforting to the Apostle Paul. He said, any that set upon you to do anything, they're not going to hurt you. They might devise the plan. It might look very intimidating, but it's not going to hurt you. Well, that's good for a man that's been stoned to death, basically, and got back up. That's been pushed out of town and town because threat after threat. But What God is saying, he didn't say, I'm going to keep back the threats. He just said, they're not going to hurt you. It's just like, I think it was Isaiah that said, no weapon formed against you shall prosper. It didn't say no weapon wasn't going to be formed. They're still going to be formed. You'll see them and they might even be intimidating to you. But you got the confidence in God, he says, but they will not hurt you. See, that's going to be big time deal for Paul whenever this insurrection comes. Of the Jews against him. But he's probably telling himself in those moments, God's with me. Whatever they do, it's not going to hurt me. And lastly, Paul, Corinth, this immoral city, this thing that's kind of like a lost cause to a lot of other people. He said, yeah, ministry opportunity, you know, come and go. And you've already had some havoc. He says, I got much people in this city. I got much people in this city. Another ministerial advice is this. God has people. Let me get it personal. God has people in our city. Do you believe that? God has people in our city. I'm not just talking about the population beyond those that are here. I'm talking about God has people that he wants to save, that he wants to bring to himself through the first apostolic church in this city. If there's one thing that's ever tethered my feet to stay here all these years, it's that fact that God has people. In this city. In this city. I just say, well, the thing is, I could use that same claim at any city you go to. God has people. In those cities, whether they be of a third world country or whether they be of other cities within the, within the United States, God has people in our city. First Corinthians one and verse number twenty six. Again, Paul speaking back to the Corinthians, he says, for ye see your calling, brethren, talking to Corinthians, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. He's speaking to the Corinthians. (laughs) They, they, They could have just got upset at this. He said, see your calling. He said, there wasn't a bunch of you that got saved there in Corinth that were wise. So there wasn't a bunch of you that were mighty. There weren't a bunch of you that were noble that were called. Well, you know, it goes to reason because the temperature of Corinth was hellish and immoral. Here's what he said concerning the the kind of people at Corinth. Brother Howard, in 1 Corinthians 6 and 9, you've heard these scriptures many times, but let's look at them again. He says, know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. He said, be not deceived. These were the. And, and I'm just telling you this. These were the type of people in Corinth. Be not deceived, neither fornicators. That was Corinth. Idolaters, that was Corinth. Nor adulterers, that was them. Nor effeminate. Yeah, that was them. How do you know that? I know that because Paul wrote the book of Romans from the city of Corinth. He was in Corinth when he wrote the book of Romans. And when you read the first chapter of the book of Romans, it talks about those that were worshiping the creature more than they were the creator. Not having the natural affection of man with woman, but woman with woman and man with man effeminate Paul wrote that whole first chapter Paul wrote the book of Romans while he was sitting in Corinth he got his object lesson from looking around the window outside the window of where he was staying at Corinth so yes he said you fornicators idolaters nor adulterers nor effeminate nor abusers of themselves with mankind nor thieves nor covetous nor drunkards nor revilers nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God look he said in verse 11 and such were some of you He said, y'all weren't wise and mighty and noble. He said, you were a bunch of adulterers, fornicators, abusers, robbers, covetousness. He said, that's the type of people. He said, but you know what? God saved you. Oh, Brother McGee, we can't have revival within our city. Have You You know, we, we got a lot of drug problem in our city, Brother McGee. We can't have revival in our city. We can't have revival in our city. We got a lot of poverty in our area, Brother McGee. We can't build a church with a bunch of impoverished people. Baloney! If God can save the adulterers and the effeminate and the robbers and the thieves of Corinth, he can save the impoverished here. He can save the drug addict here. Yes. There's much people in this city. The problem is sometimes we get our eyes on the type of people that need to be here rather than the the type of people that's out there. Those are the ones that's going to be in here. And don't get me wrong, I'd like to get the lawyer and get this one and get that one. That's great. But the, 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 high, the, the majority of the people that are out there, we got troubled people outside these walls. And so you're going to have troubled people come in the church, and God can save them. Now, I'm not sure, and I'm, I'm coming to a close, I'm not sure that Paul would have stayed. The Bible says he stayed for a year and six months, one and a half years. I'm not sure if he would have stayed there had it not been for the word that came from God in that night vision, telling him just to not be afraid. Keep on. I'm with you. You're not going to be hurt. There's much people in this city because he normally stays at these little venues for short times because of the threats that come upon his life. But he had at this location the assurance of God that he was with him and the threats that would come would not hurt him. So in spite of what Paul saw this far concerning converts, God was telling him and you stand with me. God was telling him, Paul, I know you don't see it right now, but I got much people in Corinth. The city that's ridden with sin, the city that is overwhelmed with immorality. I'm just letting you know, Paul, that it's a high probability that the type of people that's going to be converted are the type of people that you see in the streets. They're the ones that will be converted. I close with this. Just real quickly, go through these 11 ministry advice, just to repeat them in your ears, and I'll pray. Here's the advice. Seek out strategic ministry venues. Always remember that the power of God trumps the wisdom of men. Don't forget to find a community within the body of believers. Remember that one out of seven days is reserved for worship and not for work. Remember that ministry is best or better done together. Don't forget that Jesus is the Messiah. He has already come. Remember that we can't make people serve the Lord. Oh, how we wish we could. But we must share the message. And that your time and your investment in the kingdom of God is not in vain. And that we all reach breaking points. I think it would be good if we just say that together. We all reach breaking points. But in spite of that, keep on. Because God has much people in your city can we bow our heads here tonight father i come to you lord thank you for listening if you would like more information about our services and activities you can find us on facebook instagram and twitter with the username facmc again that's facmc thank you and have a blessed day